0: Welcome to the Pictures of Lily podcast. I'm your host, Lily Moaiyeri. I have been a music journalist since 1992, and I interview a lot of music-related people. This podcast, which is named after the song by The Who, is about my experience behind the story, what my experience is doing the interviews, just to give you a snapshot of what it's like on the other side of the digital recorder. Pictures of Lily Thank you everyone for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. This is episode 74. We publish monthly with a new episode posting on the second Wednesday of each month. You can find us on every platform by going to picturesoflily.com where you can subscribe or follow us and also connect to us on Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, Pandora, and Amazon. Although it's really best to listen to the podcast straight from the source at picturesoflily.com as it is the highest quality audio and avoids copyright restrictions. This episode is on my various and random experiences with The Verve and Richard Ashcroft. Here are a few snapshots of my experiences with The Verve and the group's front person turned solo artist, Richard Ashcroft. My first introduction to The Verve was through my very good friend and fellow journalist Ideen Vaziri on July 7th, 1993, at the time of the release of their debut album, A Storm in Heaven. Ideen and his girlfriend at the time came to Los Angeles to see The Verve play at the whiskey. Ideen and I have a lot of music overlaps, but his excitement over The Verve was something else. They were both surprised I wasn't already all about the band and going to the show. It was very sold out and I was a little suspicious of all the excitement, but I listened to the music. And I wasn't as overwhelmed as they were. At the time, and really still, I prefer music with more structure. Five months later, The Verve returns to Los Angeles to play the Variety Arts Center on November 26, the night after Thanksgiving. I interviewed them at the venue after their sound check. The story was for American Music Press, a local paper out of San Francisco put together by a super dedicated and passionate but skeletal staff. I found that issue in my collection. It was the very first story I did for them. In it, I tell vocalist Richard Ashcroft and bassist Simon Jones that I met some people outside that had traveled 50 miles to see them. They weren't surprised by that. During the interview, Richard ended up having an outburst. This is some of what he told me. There's nothing like that drive to know that there's a chance for the rest of your life that anything you've created can just get kicked off and you'll be living in this town, Wigan, for the rest of your life and never see the world. That's how I saw my future, either shit or bust. You know what I mean? Then he said... So then that makes it harder when you release songs as singles that are 10 minutes long. You're taking risks when you've got nothing, I've got no possessions, creating songs that you know no one will ever play. That's what it's all about. I can look back and say, yeah, I did what I set out to do, making music we feel, not what we think we should do or what DJs are playing. There are too many bands doing that. I met The Verve's tour manager, Mark, while I was waiting to conduct the interview. He was from Leeds and it turned out that he was friends with a bunch of my friends in the UK. This was unexpected from a random girl from Los Angeles and it was the start of our friendship which is still going to this day. And he's still tour managing for some great artists. In my file of facts the entry in that day says that we hung out after the show and that we went to Cantor's. I believe this was when Richard had an Etch-a-Sketch and he kept drawing and erasing a bunch of stuff on it for me. He was very good at it. My friend and me looking. through The following summer, on June 8, 1994, I saw The Verve play again, this time at the Roxy. It's surreal to think of them playing such a small venue. The following year, ahead of the release of The Verve's second album, A Northern Soul, I went to interview Richard in May of 1995. I was supposed to meet him at the hotel, which was the Hyatt on Sunset in West Hollywood, the same place they had stayed before and most bands used to stay in. I waited for him for a while, calling the record label and trying to figure out where he was through the publicist. Keep in mind, this is pre-cell phone, so I was using the payphone for all of this. They finally told me they couldn't find him and they were going to try and track him down and would keep me posted. They had me come back the next day, and again, I waited and waited and waited and waited. I called Richard's room multiple times and he didn't answer. I thought about leaving, but then I was like, what if he comes down in five minutes? And then I thought, if I'm sitting here when he comes down, then he'll know I waited for hours to talk to him. But I did wait, and Richard came down and went straight to the bar in the middle of the day. I followed him there and gave him no choice but to go through with the interview. It was for Hits Magazine, and I believe it was my very first piece for them. A lot of firsts with me in The Verve. Richard was a fantastic interview and a lot more realized than he was when I interviewed him before. I found that issue in my collection and I'm going to post that interview, which is a Q&A with Richard for the paid subscribers to the Pictures of Lily newsletter next month. I didn't put this next part in the article because I don't believe I understood it at the time. But during our chat, Richard said something about the internet and chat rooms, all of which was very new at the time. He said, all that connectivity was great, but if you're sitting in the back of a van at 3am with a bunch of people, can you hang and have a conversation because that was the real connectivity." I had no idea what he was saying, which is why I left it out of the article. But a few months later, I was at a friend's house who was having a party for their chat room friends. When I arrived, everyone was sitting far away from each other in the living room and no one was talking. I tried to start conversations, but they went nowhere and what Richard had said hit me and I knew instantly what he meant. From that point, I began believing in Richard's ability to see what was coming in the future. Even if at the time I didn't understand what he was saying. A couple of years later, The Verve became huge with the release of their album, Urban Hymns. I didn't interview them for that album, at least I don't think I did, but I did go to the first of their two shows at the Mayan Theater in November of 1997. I met a guy after who was so obsessed with The Verve that it made me feel uncomfortable. It just felt that this guy spent a lot of energy obsessing over bands, but at the same time hanging out with them. His girlfriend, who clearly was supporting him while he spent his time being a group, he had to leave. But she offered me $5 for giving him a ride to the band's hotel, which made me even more uncomfortable. The following year, the Verve were really huge. They only played in Orange County at Anaheim Pond, a venue I had never been to. It was such a different experience from before, so distant and removed and weird. I hadn't even interviewed them for this record and they had blown up so hard. We left as soon as it was over and came back to a friend's birthday party at a club in Hollywood. Weirdly, The Verve showed up there, but I felt no connection with them whatsoever. The thing with The Verve is, I don't feel any particular connection with anyone in the band. They're nice enough, although not necessarily friendly and outgoing. They're polite enough, but I can't imagine spending any relaxed time with any of them. Pete the drummer I never spoke to. Simon the bass player I interviewed once and there was nothing there. Nick the guitar player is obviously talented, but very removed and quiet. The new Simon, I never met. Richard is like an otherworldly creature. He doesn't seem human because he's from another plane. So there was never that bond with The Verve that I felt with so many other bands in that era. But just over a week later, I was in the UK for work and at the V Festival in Leeds. The Verve were headlining on the Sunday night, August 23rd. That was a religious experience. It was like nature, like a storm, like lightning and thunder and a tornado. It was tremendous, and it was my last time seeing The Verve, and it was probably the best time. Two years later, Richard Ashcroft was coming out with his first solo album, Alone With Everybody. They flew me to New York on the red-eye to interview Richard. This was not unusual, but what was unusual was that Richard wanted to do the interview at 8 a.m. This was horrifying to me as I would be landing at dawn and I needed time to get myself together and ideally even take a nap before the interview. But he was very insistent as with a new baby, he was an early riser and after the interview, he wanted to spend the rest of the day with his family. The hotel room the record label got me wouldn't even let me check in until the afternoon. Richard's publicist, who I am still friendly with, went beyond the call of duty. She suggested that I come straight to her apartment in Brooklyn. I could take a nap, take a shower, and she would take me to the interview herself. I took her up on the offer. When we got to the Mercer, which was the hotel Richard was staying in, he was dressed in all velvet. He cut quite the figure, especially at that hour. He was articulate more so than he had even been before. I feel like with every album, he grows so much as a person and becomes more and more actualized and it shows. I told him how what he told me back in 1995 about connectivity I only understood after I experienced it myself. And I asked him to give me some insight on what was coming in the future. He laughed but said that privacy was going to become the most valuable commodity. He said that way back in 2000 and it's still true. After the interview I still couldn't check into a hotel. None of my New York friends were awake so I just sat in the lobby of the Mercer waiting for my friends to come alive. Richard came down with his family to go to breakfast and he looked entirely different. He had his baby Sunny strapped to him and he was wearing bell bottom jeans and a tan trench coat. Very dad style, but also still very rock star. He came over so I could see Sonny and he was still so new, his eyes were rolling around all over the place. He was adorable. I came back to Los Angeles early morning the next day. All told, the whole trip was probably 36 hours. February of the following year Richard played two gigs at the Knitting Factory and I went to both but it was much more low-key for me, no hanging out all night. I think it was the same for Richard. The Verve got back together for a hot minute and put out a record and played Coachella in 2008 but I didn't go that year, one of the first years that I stopped going. I had less and less coverage of The Verve and or Richard Ashcroft as the years went by. I reviewed his album These People for the AV Club in 2016. What was very exciting was seeing him perform at Corona Capital, the festival in Mexico City, in November of that year. Richard always remembered me, so I went to his dressing trailer after the show to see if he was around to reconnect. But he was gone and people were joking that the helicopter we heard taking off was Richard leaving the festival. We did hang out with his band members who were very nice and very hospitable. That performance was the closest that I came to the experience I had with The Verve almost 20 years before at the V Festival. I tried to relive it a few months later here in Los Angeles when Richard played the will but it wasn't quite the same. A month after that, Richard supported Liam Gallagher at the Greek Theater. I previewed that show for the LA Weekly. It was an acoustic show, and it was tremendous. Richard's talents shine the best when they are on display like that. All this talk of getting old It's getting me down, my love Like a cat in a bag Waiting to drown This time I'm coming down That's a snapshot of my 30 years of experiences with The Verve and Richard Ashcroft. A couple of the things I wrote about the band are on picturesoflily.com, but most of what I've written about The Verve or Richard Ashcroft is vintage and print only. As I said, I will be posting those to my Substack for the paid subscribers to my newsletter. The Pictures of Lily newsletter goes out every couple of weeks and you can subscribe to it for free. For my paid subscribers, I am posting bonus newsletters that include print-only interviews from my 31-year archive. The first paid newsletter I did had the interview I did with Robert Smith of The Cure for Hits Magazine in 1997. Those who opt for a paid subscription, I posted my first interview with Noel Gallagher, which I did in December of 1995 last month. And I also posted the interview I did with Noel at the time of Oasis's third album, Be Here Now. I will link the Pictures of Lily newsletter in this podcast if you'd like to subscribe to it for free. Next month, I will be posting my Verve and Richard Ashcroft interviews for paid subscribers. Sing in your ear again Now the drugs don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again In our next episode, I'm going to be talking about my various experiences with Angela McCluskey, who changed the whole trajectory of my life. Here I trying, the moment I could win. Down. From myself and my co-producer, director, editor, Lauren Schroeder, thanks for listening. And if you have a chance to subscribe or follow the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, please do so and please rate and review. You can connect to us on picturesoflily.com and from there you can choose your preferred podcast platform or Instagram or SoundCloud or YouTube or Pandora or Amazon. You can also find the playlist of the podcast episodes on Spotify and YouTube. I'm so proud of life.